Welcome into the Paul Kuharski podcast. Happy to get to talk Titans with you right away before I get on a flight to London, which is exciting, except for the forecast part of London. We're going to talk about the red zone. We're going to talk about defensive coaches on offense and how their offenses do. Chigakonkwo and Traylon Burke's development, where Kevin Byard is. But I buried the lead because we're going to talk about it with Mike Herndon, who you should know from his weekly column at paulkuharski.com plus football and other F words, another fine podcast. And without any hesitation, we'll pop Mike right in here. If I could hit the right button. How you doing, Mike? Thanks for the time. Yeah, absolutely. Doing great. And uh, yeah, always fun to talk ball here. Overdue to have you on. A lot of people have asked for it. And uh, I think we've got a lot of ground to cover. Your piece on Wednesday was about the Titans red zone struggle. So I wanted to start there and get into what's going on. This team, it's been a hallmark as much as anything of Mike Vrabel's Titans that they get touchdowns when they get inside the 20-yard line to a a high degree. And right now, that has been flipped inside out, 35.3%, tied for 29th in the league. I think it's 6 in 17. You might know, can be able to confirm that number off the top of your head. Yeah, that's correct. Based on what you just did, really, really poor. Um, they haven't thrown to DeAndre Hopkins down there as he's emerged as clearly their best option. Uh, you know, I, I, it's easy to second guess it, but if I'm going to throw to him one time in, in a game down there, I'd like my quarterback to be the guy throwing to him. Not my, not my running back. (laughs) If I'm not mistaken, the other attempt maybe was also a trick play. The only other throw for him in the red zone this season. Yeah, he um, it pro- I think it was actually because I think well he's been targeted he's been targeted six times he's got two catches in the red zone, uh-huh. um but yeah one of them was Henry, did they run another Henry throw for him? I I, 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 I have trouble I was uh, counting on your better recall than mine but it's okay that we both don't recall <laughs> because there's been so much ugly stuff the brain filters it out after a time. Um, But so they haven't thrown to him enough down there. Derrick Henry hasn't uh, generated many of his good runs down there. And uh, just this element of their identity has really fizzled. After you wrote this piece, what were your conclusions as to to the key components? Yeah, I think a big part of it is – you know, one, we're, we're, we're working with a pretty small sample size right now, obviously, you know, 17 trips, um, things could even out. And I do think there's been some where, you know, Miles Garrett just completely wrecked a couple of these things and, and not a ton that they could do about it, to be honest. I mean, it, there's, the, well, they could have doubled they could have Dillard help on the one play before halftime. Could have, could have helped. Could have helped Dillard there, which that still would have only got him a field goal, I think, because uh, I don't. I'm not sure they had anyone open really on that that play. Anyways, um, they could have thrown it to Westbrook, but he was short of the short of the goal line. If he'd been tackled in bounds, clock would have ran yeah, out. But but I really went through in detail in that piece the uh, those sequences that failed, there's 10 of them really. Cause one of the 11 failures was a end of game kneel down situation. against Cincy. Um, so the 10 failures in looking at who is at fault, it's really a mixed bag. I mean, there's some that are clearly on Tannehill. There's some that I feel like, you know, are, are penalty related. They've, they've got far too many, many penalties in the red zone. I think Aaron Brewer's been at fault for a couple of those. Chigaconquo had one um this past week so 
they can't afford to be behind the sticks period. Um, just the way that this offense is built, unfortunately. And uh, they found themselves in that situation too often in the red zone this year. And then the other big element of it. And I, I think this may be the biggest difference from years past is Derrick Henry is not generating yards in short area this, this season. And, and that's not all Derrick Henry's fault. Most likely. I think it has something to do with they're a lighter offensive line across the board um this year than they have been in years past uh you know even as much as Dennis Daly was maligned here I think he was actually a decent run blocker um that wasn't a good enough reason for him to stay in the lineup um but you know Andre Dillard isn't isn't generating as much push to me as as Dennis Daly is on a regular basis uh last season so I think they're not getting as much push I think Henry has I think he's been losing steps. I don't think this is a, a he's fallen off a cliff thing. I think he's coming back to the pack a little bit from just an explosiveness standpoint. I think he's still running hard. He's still he's still pushing piles from time to time, but I just don't think he's been as successful. And, and the numbers bear it out. I mean, he's averaging 1.1 yards per attempt inside the red zone this year. Uh, in years past, you know, your yards per attempt in the red zone is always going to be less because of goal line, because of short yardage situation. You're not going to break long runs, all that. But in years past, is from 2019 to 2022, he was averaging over three yards of carry in the red zone. So this is a big drop off in effectiveness for their short short run game uh, effectiveness, and and that's been something that they've relied on a ton. I mean, Derrick Henry scored, you know, he's nearing a hundred NFL rushing touchdowns. Uh, which would put him in the top 10 of all time among running backs. That's been their weapon in the red zone. That's been part of the reason that they've ranked first, second, third, or no, first, second, fifth, and sixth over the past four years in red zone efficiency. And to suddenly drop all the way down to, uh, I guess, fourth from last is is pretty stunning uh, change in one year. We'll get into Henry more broadly in a bit. Uh, The other thing I I think – Hurts them in the red zone. It hurts them everywhere, but this inability to separate generally. Yeah. So Hopkins is probably a better receiver between the 20s because, uh, you know, <clears throat> the lack of separation is less of a big deal when you're dealing with more space, even though the windows are are tight and he, he you know, he's a, a pattern craftsman and all of that stuff. Well, yeah you can make do with that stuff better when there's more space. And when all the space shrinks, uh, that's the reason they needed to call a play or Mike Vrabel felt they needed to call the play. We're talking about where Dillard was singled up on Garrett is because they needed to get more people out in Cleveland to try to throw a touchdown pass on that, on that one play before they were going to kick the field goal. And when they're fielding a bunch of non separators, um, if you can't separate in, in major space in middle of the field space, well, it's going to be that much more difficult to separate in tight space. And, and they haven't proven that they, they can do that. And so while they are able at times to get the most out of Nick Westbrook, Akine and get the most out of Chris Moore, who who's, you know, done fantastically well with his limited opportunities, get the most out of Hopkins they don't seem to yet have figured it out. They're without Burks more often than not, almost, it feels like now. Kyle Phillips was really eased back in, but he's the kind of guy with that short area quickness who who should be a factor down there but didn't get 
really any meaningful chances. Here's the other thing that drives me crazy, and tell me how you feel about this. They come out of that game. They had four red zone chances. They got a 19-yard touchdown from Spears, Mm -hmm. right, and they kicked field goals on, on the other three. But they get the offensive penalty, offensive pass interference penalty against Chigakonkwo. Mm-hmm. And all they talk about after the game is, well, we got ourselves behind the sticks. When we get ourselves behind the sticks, it's really difficult, blah, blah, blah. All right, well, you're talking about one third of the time, and you're completely ignoring the other two times where you were in a regular first and 10 and had normal set of downs with another chance to get another first down and to proceed with your offense. Why is everything eclipsed by the one series where you had the first and 20? And they talk, Mike, so much about being behind the sticks and first and 15 and first and 20 or second and 18 or whatever they're in. I think it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy that they're A, going to get in those or that they're just obsessed by those that even when they're in first and 10, they're thinking, well, it's going to be second and 15. (laughs) or it's going to be third and 10. I just don't understand why they obsess about it so much. Okay. You got the first and 20. If you want to call that a wash and you're not going to be able to overcome it. And you want to say that from the start, that's fine. What, what about the other two series? Did did they not exist? And it drives me crazy as well. The way that they speak about staying on schedule in the offense, which I, I will give them that it is, important to stay on schedule especially the way that they're built but they're they're allowed to get first and first downs on first and second down like they they seem to target like their goal a great series for them is like it ends up third and three that's not what you should want out of first and second down you should want an 11 yard pass on first and 10 it's almost like they want to back up To get to third and two because that we don't know what to do with the quick first down. Yeah, I, I, they, you know, they just they seem so intent on using all of their downs to pick up, you know, and picking it up at you know turning in their homework right as it's due, right? Um, it just it drives me crazy the way they talk about that because I, I do think that's a mentality thing and that they're not as aggressive in attacking downfield sometimes because they are so intent. And that's what, you know, the, the stat was posted around on Twitter today of second down run rate after an incomplete pass on first down. And the Titans again are like one of the top four teams in the league at doing that is so predictable. And, and I would, I'd have to go back and chart their actual success with that. I know sometimes, you know, they might pick up two or three, but you know, third and eight isn't a desirable situation either. I I'd just, I just assume rather have, third a chance at third and 10 or a chance at a first down uh rather than almost guaranteeing myself third and seven or eight i mean that that to me is not what your goal should be um it it just feels like they are so scared to death of this third and long situation which i understand with the protection they they are scared to death of being in that spot but you know they they can't they call plays as if they're scared of that situation. And it, I think it affects their mentality. And I think it affects the way that they play offense generally. Yeah. We're on the same page there. Cherry on top here of the red zone conversation. The Ravens defense has allowed three points per red zone drive this season tied for the best in the league. So, uh, and they went to London on Monday, so they're not going to be jet lagged. Last time they were there, they had guys falling asleep on the bus on the way to the game. And Harbaugh said he wasn't going to let that happen again. So they went much earlier, the earliest anybody's gone in a long time. I think maybe the earliest ever. Um, So if the Titans are going to solve the red zone problem, they're going to do it against the defense that's very good 
down there. I want to extend what we were talking about with Henry into the identity conversation. To, to, you know, I, I don't want to say they need to force it to Derek, but they need to be more reliant on Derek in order to have any identity on offense. Or if they're going to create a new identity, they ought to get started. In the right. same way on defense, to me, it all starts with the front four. It's really the front three and a half right now, the way Landry's playing. Uh, you know, he had one big sack against the Chargers, and he knocked Anthony Richardson out for potentially two months. So he's he's made two very notable plays, but he's not himself at all. Mm-hmm. Those guys hit the quarterback twice in Indianapolis, which is a hugely concerning. It better be an aberration. And I understand how you want to get Spears involved in the game and that you may take Derek off the field more often. And there have been plenty of games where I thought they've gone too far the other way. But how do they find a happy medium here where they sustain their identity and push the envelope towards some new stuff offensively? Because I I don't think they have any idea who they are right now. And, And when guys don't, I think you're just asking for trouble. Yeah, I, I do feel like there's like a little bit of an identity crisis going on here with this team just because it, it does feel like it's a transitional year, um, you know, with the contract situations for Henry and Tannehill and, and all that's kind of lingering out there. And their replacements kind of already being here, um, you know, at least in, in the Titans' mind, the replacements are already here. Um, I think it's an interesting – year from a psychology standpoint of, of the locker room of the players of the veterans uh particularly but then also you know henry's also having the worst start to his career since he became the bell cow back for this this franchise uh really in 2018 end of 2018 he's at 3.8 yards per carry through five games that is the worst out of that stretch and, and yes he's a notorious slow starter to the season but this is e- slow even for him um and you know, I don't think the light ter- kicked on late like it did, you know, la- or last year like it has in previous seasons. I felt like, you know, I kept waiting for that Derrick Henry to to hit his stride and start ripping off 100-yard, 100 150-yard, two-touchdown games, and it never came last year. Now, injuries were a part of that and everything else like that, but I, I just – I feel like he is taking steps back, and, and I do think Spears has shown enough that – I understand why they want to get him the ball. Like, you know, he touches the ball. He makes the electric things happen a good amount of the time. So, um, it, but it is, it's kind of a, a team that feels like it's torn between two paths, you know, one being more of a pass first and, and, you know, versatile offense and, and the one that they've been for the past five years, uh, that's been a Derrick Henry centric offense that, you know, has brought them a lot of success. So, um, it kind of feels like they need to choose a path here, don't you think? Yeah, I, I do. But I don't know that they are feeling that because I feel like they, you know, maybe they go in with the plan, but then they get in the moment and they call what they think is the right thing in the moment, which I can't blame them for. Um, but I also think, you know, I wrote this thing early in the season. Is, is Spears going to ultimately hurt Derrick Henry's Hall of Fame case, which I got destroyed for? I don't think it's, you know, Spears the person, it's Spears right. the the concept. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if this is the trend, 
it's definitely happening. I mean, and his numbers aren't going to skyrocket next year here or somewhere else with the volume that he needs. If the volume is down like this, his production is going to slow and he needs more production to get himself, uh, you know, a, a, a stronger case for the hall of fame. I know that's a ways off, but a lot of people think he's automatic and he's not automatic. Yeah, I want to ask you, uh, sorry. I said, no, I, I agree. I don't think he's there yet. Um, I, I think he needs to get to that minimum 10,000 yards, 100 touchdown yeah, minimum. Uh, combination. And, then and that's probably not as guaranteed more. as it was on opening day, right? We would have said he's getting those two. No, no problem. Yeah. And now you look at it and you think, well, you know, I think 12 would be a lot more comfortable number and 12 is certainly no guarantee. Yeah. Let me, uh, have the screen to myself here for a minute and then we'll bring you back in just a minute. So I'm here to tell you about Zen sports, the primary sponsor of the Paul Kuharski podcast. It's the new sports betting app in Tennessee. That's revolutionizing sports betting rewards. You're wasting your time and your money. If you're betting on any other sports book, Zen sports offers real cash rewards for those lucky enough to be in Tennessee. And that means no funny money, no points or no credits. Zen sports offers a cash rebate on your bets similar to how you earn cash rewards with certain credit cards. For a welcome bonus, you earn 5% cash back on every bet you place for your first 15 days with no limits on your bonus when you use the referral bonus code TNPAUL, all capital letters, TNPAUL. Then you earn up to 3% cash back on your bets after that with the Zen Sports Cash Loyalty Program. If you're not a member of paulkuharski.com, with that code TN Paul, once you make your first $10 bet, you get a free membership to paulkuharski.com for all the best Titans coverage, analysis, and news. It's a great deal all along. Make the switch today. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 889 9789. Terms and conditions apply. You must be 21 and in Tennessee to bet. Better bring him back in, Mike Herndon a columnist uh, who writes at paulkuharski.com every Wednesday. That's something you'd be getting as part of your Zen sports deal, and you should do it. I was looking at this, and you're far more a statistical guy than I am, so I want you to tell me if there's meaning to it. I was looking at because we're always talking about Vrabel as a defensive coach, dealing with the offensive coordinator thing. If he gets a good offensive coordinator and the guy's good for two years, Odds are he loses that good offensive coordinator to a head coaching job, and then he's got to do it again. So LaFleur wasn't even that good. He lost them. Arthur Smith was good for two years. He lost them. He's, he's you know, now starting anew with Tim Kelly. So I looked at defensive coaches, um, how their units have fared on offense, and offensive coaches and how their units have fared on defense. Over three years, so – 2021 full season, 2022 full season, and this season so far, 33% of offensive coaches have had top 10 defenses, and 22% of defensive coaches have had top 10 offenses. So to me, that's not skewed that much. Mm -hmm. But if, if we cut it down just to last year and this year, which is obviously a smaller sample size, 37% of the offensive head coaches have had top 10 defenses and only 8.3% of the defensive coaches have had top 10 offenses. 
And those are pretty much accounted for by Josh Allen and Justin Herbert. Yeah. You put much into that? Yeah, you know, I guess I do in the fact that I, I think if you don't have a franchise quarterback, having an offensive guru that can, that, like a Kyle Shanahan, who can take a Brock Purdy, and I think Purdy is a pretty, plenty talented guy, but what he's done with Purdy has been nothing short of miraculous in turning him into the player that he is now. And, and I think um, that's not to take away from Purdy himself, but I think that system does him a lot of favors. And I, I think Tua is another example. Mike McDaniel goes to Miami. They have a very clear offensive vision that they're, they basically want to put a track team out on the field uh, around Tua and, and, McDaniel's creative and, and able to create a system where Tua can thrive after Tua looked like, you know, he was, you know, Dolphins fans were beside themselves that they didn't take Justin Herbert for, for several years. And, and, you know, maybe Herbert still ends up being the better passer in the long run, but Tua's putting up ridiculous production now because he's got a, a good offensive coach and, and good offensive weapons around him. So I, I, th- I do think that there's something to that. Now we've seen the, the marriage of a defensive head coach with an elite quarterback do incredible things in this league. When you think about Mike Tomlin and Ben Roethlisberger, obviously Belichick and Brady being the biggest example, um, Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson during their heyday. Um, there's pl- you know John Harbaugh and and you know I guess he hasn't really had the elite I didn't count quarterback Harbaugh but, or Judge. Yeah, I guess I threw him out as special teamer. Yeah, they're kind of middle of the road. Um, but I guess non-offensive specialist coaches. Um, but yeah, I, I do think if you don't have that that quarterback to go with them, it becomes very difficult because it, it just seems like there's no stability on the offense because you're probably changing quarterbacks every few years and changing coordinators every few years. And it just there's no stability there. There's nothing to build off of uh, for that. So I, I do think that there's something to that um, for the vast majority of teams that don't have that franchise quarterback. Another thing I thought was maybe a little bit interesting. I think, of, you know, I think about Norv Turner sometimes, and it seems to me there are fewer Norv Turners. Maybe I'm wrong, but there are fewer Norv Turners. The offensive coordinator position has really become the feeder position for head coaches. A lot of young up-and-comers. Meanwhile, uh, you know, like a third of the league's defensive coordinators are former head coaches. Fangio, Schwartz, Bradley, Joseph, Spagnolo, Quinn, Del Rio, Flores, Morris, Wilkes. So if you're an offensive head coach, you can almost get like a head coach defense if you need one. They're out there. And it's not so much the case on, on offense, though there are certainly failed um, offensive coaches who, who do become available, but they're not hot commodities necessarily in the, in this, in the same way. I'm thinking of Adam Gase. Yeah. yeah that's example, the name that jumped right? in my mind too. <laughs> you don't want to connect yourself to, to Adam Gase. Yeah. You want him out of there. Quick word about my other sponsor, Jaspers. If you're watching on YouTube, you see it above my head. I know Mike has uh, partaken of their food and I imagine their drink Great place on West End between downtown and Midtown. Great menu, great drinks, free parking, which is hard to find anywhere. You can slide in there, get the bolognese, the Cuban sandwich are my two favorites. You can play some uh, Papa Shot, some air hockey, a bunch of free games. Great place for a business lunch. Great place for a date. Great place for a family meal. Uh, very affordable 
Great service, great food. Can't recommend it highly enough. Stop by Jasper's. They've been a good supporter of mine for some time. Let's return the favor. Uh, West End between downtown and Midtown. Did I mention there is free parking? Um, I wrote a little bit today to go in conjunction with this podcast about the lack of development of Traylon Burks and Chig Aconquo. This was one of the big storylines of the offseason. These two guys, you know, Chig had a promising season where his three yards of yak overexpected in his rookie season was the best number in the league. He was going to grow on that. Burks had figured out his asthma. He was in better condition. He spent his offseason in Nashville. He rented a prop plane because he couldn't get back for the third stage of OTAs. He was so determined to be here. Now, he probably, it seems like, going to miss his third game in a row with this knee injury. He didn't practice on Wednesday. Chig is called on a lot to block, which isn't his forte, but he's not been dynamic at all. Doesn't look instinctive out there. These two guys have added virtually nothing outside of that 70-yard pass to Burks in the Chargers game that really got the the Titans going, their big offensive outburst. Should we have foreseen this? How naive were we? And and how much do you think they can still bring? Yeah, I mean, I I was optimistic about both these guys too coming into the season, just because I you know I thought they did show flashes. Um, and you know, Aconquo's per snap per route run numbers were absolutely absurd last year. I mean, he you know from an efficiency standpoint, you know, he didn't get used a ton until very late in the season. And even then it probably felt like they were leaving some meat on the bone there. And we were asking um, Downing about that every week. And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah we're going to use them more. And then we'd ask him the next week. Well, what about <laughs> now? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it seemed like every time he touched the ball last year, he was making a big play. And this year it, it just does not feel the same. I, he's had drops um, when he has caught the ball. It, it, he's not breaking tackles. I mean, I think about, you know, one of the red zone plays that I highlighted, uh, in the piece today, you know, that play action boot, Tannehill rolls back out left. Chig catches the pass. He's got a little bit of room. Now, the, the linebacker, Zaire Franklin, takes a good angle, makes a very good tackle. But I just feel like if you get a Conquo in space against a linebacker, that is what you want right there. You want him in space against a linebacker with a little bit of room to turn up field and make a move. And he just didn't – he just kind of turned into the tackle and went down for a two-yard gain. And it, it just does not feel the same like he's an explosive play waiting to happen uh, as it did last year. And Burks, you know, the injury disappointment aside, you know, I, I've been disappointed with him on the field as well. And there's probably some – you know, Tannehill's probably had him open a few times where he should have hit him or could have hit him that would – change this statistical production but also just don't i mean he's had too many drops too i mean he's he had the was it cleveland where he had like felt like three or four drops in that game um and and some of those were potentially big plays so i i I just i think it's disappointing from both guys so far you know they could still turn it around obviously um but it is kind of a good reminder that you know we always look at development as linear and that, you know, well, this guy was this good in year one, so he's going to be this good times X in year two. And that doesn't always happen. Sometimes guys take a step back before they take a step forward. Sometimes they take a step back and never recover. You know, so it's um, – and that's why I was a little bit, you know, down on the 
team as a whole for most of the offense uh, offseason. I kind of feel bad that I, I now I let the DeAndre Hopkins signing kind of change my my thinking of this team, and, and he's been fantastic, ironically. But uh, I might have been too high on them before the Hopkins thing. I guess maybe is, is the way I should look at it, um, because my concern was that all this was projection. It was all projection. It was asking guys to do stuff that they've never shown that they could do before at that volume. Um, Cause you know, everybody was stepping up a level, you know, backups were becoming starters. Starters were asking asked to become stars and outside of Tannehill and Henry, nobody had the the skins on the wall to show that, Hey, yes, you can rely on me to do this job. Uh, and yeah, it's kind of come to pass that most of these guys have fallen short of what I think the Titans were thinking and and hoping that they would be. The one area that I I made a bad calculation was I thought, well, the receivers, even after Hopkins showed up, not a group that's going to get good separation, but Chig can get separation Mm -hmm. on the matchups that you're talking about. And Spears with his speed can get some separation. Well, that plays into this stat that I have. Spears, and I did say that I thought Spears would get more carries than people expected and fewer catches than people expected. We were projected, people were projecting crazy amounts of uh, targets for him. He didn't catch the ball that much at Tulane. Better, better looking target than people they'd had. But Hilliard was a good target. And, you know, so Spears has averaged 4.5 yards per reception which is the fourth worst of qualified running backs in the NFL. Meanwhile, Henry has averaged 11.2 yards per reception, which is tied for the best of 41 qualified running backs, which is not the way most of us expected it would go. Uh, And, you know, Derek, we all know, can break off a a really big one when they set him up nicely. What was his long one? Maybe in in the 40s? Yeah, yeah, he had a long one against the Saints. I know. Um, I think that was in the forty-yard range. Um, but yeah, I, I do think they're used completely differently. Obviously, in the past game, um, you know, Henry. I was looking at it um, before we jumped on here. Henry's average depth of target this season is minus three point seven yards. So three point seven <laughs> yards behind the line of scrimmage. Um, and they've been running that little flare pass that, that I talked about in the piece today too, um, in that high red zone area that I think they've kind of over overworked at this point. It worked early, but now they've used, they've shown it like five, six, seven times and they do dress it up in different ways, but I think teams are onto that. Um, and, and the Colts certainly were not, uh, you know, fooled whatsoever by, by those looks coming in the high red zone area. But, um, yeah, Henry, his average depth of target is almost a yard behind the next lowest um, <laughs> running back. So he is purely a screen guy, and he's great on the screens. He really has become a good screen back, which I I wasn't sure would ever be a big part of his repertoire either. But, yeah, Spears, you know, of course they use more as a, a receiver um, at times in those you know circle routes out of the backfield on third downs and things like that. And I think he's been – relatively effective, but I honestly would like to see him get some screen opportunities here and there as well. Yeah, he can, I, I be, he can be better as uh, as a pass target, especially yeah. considering what they've what they've been lacking. I think he he could definitely uh, definitely be better used and and have better results. Finally, uh, on the offensive line, um, 
you know, I, I thought uh, certainly the results were far better against Indianapolis. Blake Benningfield didn't think that they, they, they played all that well. He, he, he thought Skaronsky, uh certainly was rusty coming back from three missed games with, uh, with the appendix. Mike Vrabel made it clear on Wednesday that um, Nicholas Petit Frere is not replaced, not getting his job back over Chris Hubbard. Hubbard's done admirable work, but with the help. You know, and so our standards change now. Like, like I like what Chris Hubbard's done, but I know he's getting help a, a good percentage of the time. And we know Dillard's getting help a very high percentage of the time. So you got a lot of uh, routes that have three people to start anyway, and, and chippers at the very least coming out late, who, again, they're not going to have very high depth, depth of target. You wrote in the last couple of weeks about like the – the possible alternative line shapes if the Titans decide to change. I think it it's less and less likely. Skaron, I mean, uh, with Skaronsky back in the lineup, Dillard has some comfort inside now mm-hmm. and focus a little bit more outside. And, and their tendency is to kind of stick with the guy until he really, really proves that he can't do anything. I guess their options now are a little bit better than they were last year when when they were looking for help with Dennis Daly playing so badly. But if you had to forecast it, what do you think the chances are if they continue to play like as they've played the last two weeks that we see something happen with Dillard? Yeah, I kind of – I mean, Dillard hasn't played super well the last two weeks. I don't think he's been good by any means, but I think he's stabilized a little bit. And part of that's just not having to deal with Miles Garrett anymore. Although, you know, the Bengals had a good pass rusher in Trey Hendrickson and, and the Colts, they were without Quiddy Pay, which helped, I think, a little bit. Um, but I think he's stabilized somewhat. He hasn't been just destroying drives single handedly like he, he was in the first four weeks. So um, maybe. You know, I think they probably stick with him for a little bit longer, and his leash probably extends past the bye week at this point, even if he struggles a little bit against Baltimore, who whose defense has been a big surprise to me as far as how good they've been. Um, I, I thought they kind of lacked some of the horses that they used to have, but they just seem to turn them up uh you know every yeah, season whoever's whoever's on the outside for the Ravens will effectively rush the passer. It's kind of yeah. one of the rules of the NFL. Absolutely. So I, I think it'll be, I think it'll be Dillard for a little while longer anyways. Um, but do you, do you think there's any hope of, uh, of a relief for Christian Fulton? You know, I was thinking that I, I can't, I, I do think there's a chance that they, that they pull him. I, I think it's more likely that they would package him, you know, and, and come up with something where he plays less and Avery was in something, so maybe he'd play just first down, or, uh, or or something like that, and that they would have him step down a little bit and focus really on one thing. Uh, I could I could see that happening. I think he just needs a mental break more than anything, and and so that's the only reason I could really see it happening this week. If you give him this week, and then they got the bye week. And you send them away and say, clear your head and come back. Um, but I mean, my God, it's really, it's really, really been bad. Yeah. But yeah, you also have to look at Trey Avery. I mean, Trey Avery played in the opener for who? Who was who was out? Uh, no, he played the second week for second, Fulton, yeah. right? Fulton yeah. was out. And 
and uh, and the Chargers went after him pretty well. Yeah, mercilessly. And, yeah, fifteen and targets. I think him. it was. So you know, I know fans are huge on the get Fulton out of there. It can't be worse train. Um, you know, and I guess it can't be worse, but I, I don't think Trey Avery's going to light it up by by any means. So. It's hard to know how Vrabel thinks on that. I, th- I think if you pull them, you lose them probably. And and that's yeah. the danger in terms of you're going to need them at, at some point probably. Do you think there's any chance we see Caleb Farley later on? It's I think Caleb Farley is, is done and buried. I don't know what happens to him beyond this year. Is this his third year? This is his third year. Yeah. Third year. So they got a decision to make after this. I don't think he sees his way off of PUP this year. I think he's buried there, and I don't think it has anything to do with the condition of his back. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, I mean, it's a sad situation all around with him at this point. Yeah. I, he's, he's been a regular in the locker room, but I mean, this was a micro disectomy, uh, like, like his. Uh, I think he's had two other back surgeries. One of them was more serious. Um, my, my wife's had a micro disectomy. Uh, she's not a football player, obviously, or getting back to a, a serious athletic life. But uh, and and his could have been more serious or whatever. But there's been a lot of time, a, a lot of time. And yeah. I think most people, unless it's some super level of serious, uh, he he's been through the rehab attached to that already i don't know where it was in his back compared to the other one if they're close by it could lead to a fusion and that might be a different story mm-hmm. but i would think he would be close to ready or beyond ready by now and i i, I have reason to suspect it's not about his back yeah yeah it's it's too bad i mean it, it, you know at this point i think he's a guy that you almost just i mean it, yeah if you get anything out of him ever, you, you know, it's a huge bonus, but uh. I think he's a guy who's happy that Isaiah Wilson exists because he doesn't top the list of busts. He's only close to the top of the list. Of yeah. Busts, yeah. Which is a heck of a list. You put out the tweet this week about how little they've gotten out of their, their uh, top three rounds of the last, what, four, four years, four I years. Mean. Yeah. So, and, and the reason I picked four years, I mean, I mean, that's basically everyone that should be on a rookie on contract, contract out of yeah. that group. And, and you look and you've got 14 guys on that list. Two of them are starters that are playing well, you know, it's, it's, that can't, that can't be your hit rate. You can't go two for 14 on guys who are actually contributing in a positive way as a starter. Um, and then you're chasing those spots. I mean, you know, we've talked plenty about chasing the offensive line and chasing the cornerback. I'm just thinking of Darrington Evans, whose, whose yeah. name is on that list. Well, if Darrington Evans was what you thought he would be, then you wouldn't have needed Tajay Spears. And yeah. then you could do something else with, with that pick and address entirely different spots than cornerback and offensive line and third down running back. Yeah, Derek maybe Henry. maybe Juwan Jones or or Jalen Hyatt's on this team instead of you know Spears because Evans is is Spears you know that right. but yeah it it does have just a huge ripple effect and um yeah I, I think when you look at it like that there's just no mystery as to why this roster is the way it is today um they they just don't they they missed on way too many drafts in a row and you just can't have that up. And people ask how long John Robinson's imprint imprint lasts on this team. And and I, I think some of them think I'm being unfair when I say it, but 
because Spears replaces Evans, J John's imprint really lasts as long as a guy like Spears is on the roster. As yeah. long as a guy like Petit Frere is on the roster, as long as a guy like Traylon Burks is on the roster. And if Traylon Burks kind of busts, then yeah. it's really on the roster as long as the solutions for Traylon Burks are on the roster. Right. Yeah. It's a long, long ripple. A it long, is. long ripple. And it that's how bad teams or mediocre teams stay bad. And as much shit and grief as people want to give Mike Vrabel right now. And I don't think he's doing his best work right now. The roster handcuff is, is the biggest thing that's going on with this team. And, and your tweet there summing up that two for 14 spells it out as well. And look, everybody's excited. They got $90 million or whatever they have next year. Well, guess what doesn't make it to market premier left tackles, yeah. elite cornerbacks, right? Uh, wide receivers with great speed. What are the top three things you'd give the Titans if you could give them things? Those three things. Guess where they have to come from? The draft. Exactly. Guess what? Yeah. They traded away their third round pick next year for, you know, the guy that may or may not be their quarterback. And yeah, they've got on six, and on we go with the same story. Six picks next year, half of them are in the seventh round. So yeah. Um, and one of them they traded for for uh the guy who destroyed the left tackle last year, Dennis. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's terrific. Is he playing yeah. in Arizona? Has he got any snaps? I'm not even sure. I, I I haven't kept up, unfortunately. There's one. There's one. We'll check on and give you yeah. a uh, Twitter update on. Mike Herndon writes at paulkuharski.com on Wednesdays. Why don't you give people the schedule for uh, football and other f words and whatever else you do? Yeah, so we'll be doing uh, we'll be doing our podcast actually tonight, Wednesday night. Uh, we're, we'll be doing a late night episode of that, uh, but generally every Wednesday in, in your podcast feed of choice. There you go. So you got back to back podcasts to listen to. We don't care what order; just hit them both up. He and Zach do a great job over there, and it's definitely something you should be checking out if it's not already on your list. Read him here, and I'll leave him on screen while I say, don't block the box, and be sure to lock your locks. Check out Zen Sports and Jaspers. Thanks, everybody.